Hello, friend, and welcome to Conversations with My Higher Self podcast. This show is about spirituality, higher realms, the mysteries of the universe, and source consciousness. I use hypnosis to get into a deep theta state where I am able to connect to and embody my higher self. What unfolds is a monologue that is dictated by the state of the divine flow as well as any questions I might receive from the human collective consciousness. Enjoy! Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I have recently published my first book called 72 Keys to Manifestation or An Ancient Path of a Modern Day Alchemist. It is a step-by-step guide on how to become a master manifester in just 72 days and a profound yet easy to follow along path to manifesting anything your heart desires. To find out more info or to get your copy, visit thisismaria.com. It is T-H-I-S-I-S-M-A-R-I-Y-A.com. Hello, hello, um, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with My Higher Self. Um, I'm really excited about the topic that we're going to be covering today. Today, we're going to be talking about femininity and the law of correspondences. And specifically, right, um, we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into the female archetypes through the lens of astrology and some planets as well that we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to look at the macrocosm. Um, So we're going to be looking at the solar system today a little bit. Um, You know that I'm a big fan of um, finding similarities, finding correspondences between macro and micro universes, macro and micro factors. Um, in one of the previous episodes, we've already discussed that um, essentially whether you're zooming in infinitely or infinitely zooming out, you're going to get to the same end destination. And that end destination is understanding and perceiving of God or source, source consciousness. And, as you know, part of that journey, I'm really fascinated about teaching you the law of correspondences or um, as above, so below in its various different aspects. So one of the aspects that we're going to look at today is the state of femininity on planet Earth, um, the lessons around that next stage of development for women on this planet, what we're being called into, what are the next set of lessons, and you know what does that mean for the next loop or lap of evolution of consciousness for planet earth obviously you know uh, if you've been listening enough to this podcast you understand that nothing is a coincidence Um, everything in the great cosmos is operating according to a set of laws everything is operating according to uh, principles that are overarching and that bring law and order into this seemingly haphazard seemingly chaotic world and if you were to kind of like start peeling off layers you would be able to start noticing certain similarities and synchronicities and correspondencies that I believe could shed the light into the inner and the outer workings of the universe and can become quite fascinating learnings if you allow them um, to impact you if you allow yourself um, to increase your 
capacity for perception. So this topic, I really like it. I really like talking about femininity. This is the topic that's near and dear to my heart. A lot of the work that I came to do to this planet is actually in the realm of teaching and explaining divine feminine principles, um, looking at the duality and polarity of masculine versus feminine energies, um, exploring um, the androgynous nature of souls as well as the polarized nature of souls. Um, so that's why this, this, this is the topic that I'm actually really, really quite excited about um, discussing. Now, there have been some foundational episodes. We had a couple of episodes, I believe, that mentioned the moon in the past. We've definitely had an episode about the Divine Mother not too long ago. Um, so all of those episodes can be considered foundational episodes for this perspective that I'm going to offer today. But really, it's meant to, this episode is really meant to first become the food for thought and secondly also provide some guardrails and guidance around understanding the female within uh, and understanding you know how your inner female like what you know what is she experiencing what lessons is she on and also how to interact with the feminine aspect of the universe now I would say that this episode probably is a no-brainer for anyone who, you know, is a woman or identifies as a woman. Um, I think that anyone, however, um, would be able to find something that I think could be quite insightful from this episode. So give this a shot. Keep your mind open. And as always, for episodes that are a little bit out there or that require maybe a certain level of perception, um, I encourage you to keep your hearts open, not just your minds, because for some of the stuff that's going to come through, you know, that's kind of really, really important. So according to the one of the greatest principles of the universe, um, a hermetic principle, as above, so below. And as we remember, um, maybe you guys don't remember, but if you don't remember, you should definitely go and listen to an episode about the hermetic principles. Uh, we did one, um, I want to say maybe in 2020. It was a really good episode. But as above, so below is one of the cornerstone, one of the pillar principles of uh, hermeticism. Um, and hermeticism deals with explaining how the mat matrix really works, right? So essentially one, uh, like one of the ways that you think of, should think of, um, you know, one of the shortcuts to perceiving the universe is understanding that everything corresponds to something else. In other words, you could seek to understand a smaller aspect of the universe because every small aspect of the universe contains within itself um, or should be regarded as a fractal of the universe. And the rest of the universe is just a multiplication or a copy-paste of that fractal, right? So you can zoom in, keep zooming in, or you can zoom out and essentially at certain point uh, of, of this process, you're going to start finding a lot of similarities. So there is no coincidence, um, according to the law of attraction, the law of clusterization of energy, there is no coincidence that your soul chose to be incarnated at this pivotal moment in time in the history of Gaia, in the history of this planet. It is also no coincidence that your energies are a match to um, what's happening, right? So... In, in other words, there is no way you could have shown up at this point in time 
if your personal lesson was not aligned with the lesson of the macrocosm that you chose to incarnate into. In other words, whatever lessons the solar system is going through at this moment in time are the same lessons that your higher self, your spirit, your soul, all of the above are going through to some degree. Otherwise, you would have never been a match to this place, to the set of coordinates within time-space reality, right? In other words, if you feel that this is random, that you're here, if you don't see or find any similarities between yourself and the world that surrounds you, um, it, it is an illusion, right? You're meant to be here. You're meant to be experiencing this. And not only that, but your higher self is a vibrational match or a portion of your higher self is a vibrational match to what's going on on this planet at this moment in time. Um, in some of the previous episodes, um, I've already mentioned that I believe we are um, on a trip towards more femininity and less masculinity. Now, I've said it before, and I'll say this again. Planet Earth right now exudes and exhibits a very interesting masculine polarity, right? So it is a world, a planet, where masculinity and specifically intellect, logic, so the left brain, um, runs supreme, right? And that very much determines the world around you. That very much determines the rules you live by, the micro rules, shall I say, right? And that also very much means that at some level or at soul level, shall I say, you're still exploring the masculine versus feminine. You're still trying things on for size. Now, um, Planet Guy is actually a very, very interesting planet. And I don't want to go too in-depth in it right now because this is not what this episode is about. But Gaia is a feminine spirit that essentially is running a planet that is a very masculine type of world, right? So there you have it. Like right there is one of the primordial, one of the most critical conflicts that you would experience in this time-space reality. A lot of the things don't make sense. And one of the front and center collisions, one of the front and center fights, shall we say, is the masculine-feminine fight. Maybe fight is like a, a very lofty word of using for it, but it's definitely the dichotomy. It's, it's the relationship between the two polarities, masculine and feminine, um, that kind of like really makes up and informs the evolution of this planet. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about you today, right? As a human, as a being, and specifically for, you know, the women listeners, the female listeners of, of this podcast, I think the, uh, the deep dive into the archetypes could be quite interesting. So essentially, on um, within the solar system, there are three main entities, or as far as you are concerned, there are three main celestial entities, celestial bodies, that would be the carriers of the female archetypes that you have access to. Uh, these are Gaia, or planet Earth, that we all incarnated on. Uh, the moon, which is a satellite, obviously, of planet Earth, represents a particular aspect of femininity. And the third one is Venus, right? That's the third aspect of femininity. Now, all three represent a particular state of femininity, particular energy vibration, and a particular level of evolution, right? 
So yes, each of them is a frequency as like a step on a step ladder. However, you know, not all of them are operating at the same levels of purity. So how do I explain this? Imagine that frequencies, right? Um, frequencies live in clusters. But like one good analogy that I can give you is imagine a color blue is a frequency, right? And now there is a range of colors uh, within the blue spectrum, right? You have the light blue, you have the deeper blue, etc., etc. Now, essentially, all of them could be described using the word blue in the language, right? However, you probably would agree that periwinkle and cobalt blue are not the same shade, right? And the same thing here. And also, by the way, blue can be a clear blue, and blue can be kind of like a dirty, polluted blue where like you can feel it's like there's a lot of grayscale like there's uh, shades of like black maybe or like tarnish in it in other words an energy can represent the blue spectrum or any spectrum in the universe but the purity of that energy uh, is very different depending on which side of that spectrum that represents in other words you know each of the planets gaia venus and i know the the, the moon is not the planet it's it Technically, it's, it's a satellite, but it, let's say like it's a body in the cosmos. It's a celestial body. You know, they each represent a particular frequency, but they don't all represent the pure part of that frequency because each of these planets and the entities or the souls that are inhibiting uh, these inhabiting these planets are still on their journey of evolution. And unfortunately, specifically for the consciousness behind the moon and the consciousness behind Gaia, these are definitely entities that are still in training and um, they don't, they would not and currently do not represent the highest aspects of the frequency that they came here to represent. And we're going to dive deeper into a little bit of that. In other words, within yourself, you're going to have a number of different female energies. And the biggest lessons within the female spectrum of energies that you currently have can be studied, can be understood, can be perceived and healed if that's trauma as in, in relationship to the surrounding planets. In other words, whatever issues you see in the solar system are the issues that you're experiencing within your own being. Whatever miss, I don't know, disbalance that you see in the solar system exists within your own body and exists within your higher self at soul level, if that makes sense. Otherwise, you would not have been a match, a vibrational match to this reality, right? So um, in order, in other words, what I'm saying is in order to understand yourself, you have to understand the relationship between these planets, the relationship, their purpose, right? the relationship that they have with other planets and a little bit about their personal journey and personal evolution as well. Because to understand yourself, you need to understand the workings, the inner workings of the universe that you yourself attracted, right? Again, um, that is, you know, essentially if you want to understand the mystery of the universe, understand your own mystery first. Or if you want to understand the mystery of yourself, you have to understand the mystery of the universe. It goes both ways, right? And you can start essentially from either end of the spectrum, whatever fits your bill, whatever makes you happy. Okay, so why don't we get started maybe with things that are a little bit closer to home? And why don't we explore the dichotomy first of 
the energy of Gaia, planet Earth, and the energy of the moon. This is a very interesting pair that very much impacts the femininity and the state of feminine on this planet today. Now, I think it would be probably, it would be an incomplete discussion of female archetypes if we didn't look at the concept of the triface goddess, um, which is, you know, a concept that is very prevalent in the pagan tradition, in the Wiccan tradition, the three-phase goddess, right? So essentially it's your maiden mother crone, right? Which is postulated as the end all for the evolution of a female, an evolution of a woman, right? I will tell you this, despite the fact that the Holy Trinity or triangle, right? is one of the most perfect ways or shapes, or shall I say, harmonies in the universe. Dividing the full spectrum of feminine energies into three major archetypes, maiden, mother, crone, is a vast, vast oversimplification of what a woman is, what femininity is. And yet, it is very telling. So there's one thing that you need to know, right? or like a litmus test for how developed femininity is on planet Earth, all you need to know is somehow three archetypes has really been anchored in the consciousness and the collective consciousness as the truth, right? In other words, there are a lot of people that believe that there's just three, three sides to a woman and there is nothing in between. I will tell you that as time goes by, the three archetypes are going to turn into five, then they're going to turn into seven or eight, then they're going to turn into 12, etc., etc. In other words, there are a lot more faces of a woman. There are a lot more faces to the femininity that you hold within your body than these three very simple touch points, right? Essentially, the maiden is your beginning, your mother is your middle, or so they would like us to think, and the crone is your end. And there is nothing else, right? By the way, I'm not even going to go into the fact that, you know, the church would prefer to have us believe that the maiden is really the most ideal state, right? And maybe the mother sometimes. And the crone is like all darkness and evil and, you know, witchcraft and the bad side of witchcraft and black magic and all of that good stuff. Whereas, of course, the crone really represents the wise woman. And may we all live to one day you know, become wise enough to be called the crone, you know, in its true, using its true meaning, right? Now, of course, because there are only three essentially female cosmic forces that are impacting you at this point in time, the fact that you have a three-phase goddess is no coincidence. It's essentially, the, the pickings are slim. I'm not going to lie. The pickings are slim. And here's the thing. When you come to practice femininity or actually masculinity, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you come to practice in an incarnate state, right? And it doesn't have to be gender related. In, especially in 3D worlds, uh, what you would need is a template. So this matrix, this world actually operates according to, not even according to, but through a set of templates. In other words, if you're coming into a world and a template for something, whether that is an experience, a feeling, a thought pattern, a belief system, doesn't really matter. If that 
template does not exist in the vastness of creation of stuff that belongs to that world, you're not going to be able to experience it. At the same time, there would be things that are very common to that world and and its experience. And you have plenty of that, plenty of templates floating around in the collective and elsewhere. And so you could experience them all day, every day, right? So the fact that there have been only three essentially planetary type consciousnesses anchored tells you that this is not a world where a lot of feminine first or progressive feminine templates or archetypes have even been downloaded. And if they haven't been downloaded, certainly they cannot be experienced. Now, archetypes and just this whole cosmic song and dance of like archetypes and new ones and blueprints being created all the time um, is an interesting, almost like separate topic. But essentially, you would always have souls that are very evolved come descend into this planet and birth these archetypes or birth the new blueprints so younger souls could experience them. It happens all the time. And yet, and yet... We only have three female ones to learn from. Everything else is at best androgynous, you know, in the solar system. Now, with the development of technology, there would be other worlds that would be discovered, you know. There would be other solar systems, neighboring solar systems, that would become as prevalent, you know, as front and center in the human collective as the solar system. And some of the neighboring solar systems have other types and other frequencies of femininity anchored. So as time goes by and interplanetary travel, inter-solar system travel becomes reality, the situation may change, right? And it will change. But so far we're experiencing Venusian energies, energies of Gaia, and the energies of the moon. And by the way, the moon is a whole other topic in and of itself, uh, yeah, which, you know, we'll see if I if I have time to get into that today. Um, so let's maybe explore these archetypes and where do they fall even within the sector or the segment uh, or the framework of uh, Maiden, uh, Mother and Crone. I will tell you there is, Crone is just not represented at all right now in the solar system. It's just not represented even remotely. And when something is not being represented, A, it becomes part of the human uh, collective subconscious, not conscious, right? So there are things that you collectively believe in consciously. That's your (laughs) um, collective consciousness. And then, of course, there's the collective subconsciousness, right? Or subconscious. And that holds everything, your collective shadow, all the things that you don't know that you don't know, all the things that you didn't even know that you believed in, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there's a lot in the realm of the hidden. Um. Yeah, so there are some archetypes of femininity in the collective subconscious that are yearning to burst through, that are yearning to be birthed and come into the light from the realm of shadow. Crone is one of them. Because right now it is in the realm of subconscious, it's actually very easy as an art, like it's very easy for those types of archetypes to be misconstrued. Because every time you are dealing with a planet that is very logical, Right. Again, we're, we're talking, we're going back to that challenge of masculinity for Gaia. Anything that is the realm of feeling, anything that is the realm of intuition, everything that is the realm of creativity, and everything that's in the realm of the invisible all of a sudden becomes not real or takes second stage. Right. 
And because it's not real, it is very much prone to myth, legend, and speculation of all kinds and all sorts, right? So because there is no actual physical representation of a template in uh, in terms of a planet, there is no like planet in the solar system that represents a crone archetype, the wise woman that's been there, done that, that knows the answers to every question, that is wise beyond measure, like that just does not exist. And because that does not exist, we're getting into all kinds of stories around witchcraft and Lilith and um, other almost like demonic type creatures. And by the way, I'm not saying that Lilith is a demonic type creature. I'm saying that Lilith is very misunderstood. And part of the reason that Lilith as an archetype um, is very misunderstood is because people don't know any better. There is no good example of what a crone archetype should be. And that's why there's so much misinformation. So of the three, right? And by the way, truly, if we're thinking planetary energies, right? Calling a moon a planet is a stretch. We shouldn't even be doing that. In other words, the moon only impacts planet Earth. The moon does not impact to the same degree. The moon does not really impact anything else other than the planet Earth. So if we're taking a cosmic perception, nobody cares about the moon. It is such a local thing. It is like such a local neighbor and it has such a limited impact in the grand scheme of the universe that technically within the solar system, the correct way of saying what the two archetypes are in the solar system would be the only two females that exist are Gaia and Venus. And by the way, both of them, both of them represent the maiden slash lover archetype. And that is the truth. So neither of them are the mothers yet. Not truly. Like, and when I say that, I say that with a grain of salt because, and maybe I should preface that with saying, maiden is just the beginning of the journey of divine feminine. Very often with third dimensional planets that are just learning the divine feminine, the only archetypes that can come through are the maiden, which is essentially the little girl. When the little girl, like, oh, the baby is born, she's female, right? And they start to grow. At first, in terms of age, you're going to get the girl. Unfortunately, everything else happens afterwards, right? And so it's only logical that the first two entities, beings, that have been anchored into the solar system have been the maiden archetype. Again, because the solar system and the rest, by the way, of the Milky Way galaxy are, are struggling with anchoring the female archetype, right? So that is a challenge. So we have two different facets, right? We have a very different range of the maiden archetype um, represented in Gaia and represented in Venus. One thing I will tell you is if you've come to planet Earth, um, you're going to feel most balanced as a woman if you find that each of the aspects or the aspects of each of the female planets are activated within you as a being, right? You would be leading the most fulfilled life if you're actually displaying qualities that are Venusian of Venus, qualities that are of the moon and qualities that are of Gaia. So why the moon, right? I kept saying Earth, Venus, and, and that's kind of it. Um, the moon came as a great teacher, um, as 
somebody that is older, comparatively speaking, compared to Gaia. So Gaia is a very young spirit, whereas the moon is not as young. And the flip or the arc that Gaia as a consciousness is trying to make at this point in time is she's trying to turn from a maiden into a mother. That is the arc that she's on, right? So on the from the planetary perspective, the moment that Gaia has understood what it takes, what it would take to become a mother consciousness, her arc of evolution would be complete and the necessity for her to exist would actually um, disappear. Right? In other words, the planet would disappear, right? And by the way, planets disappear all the time. Like, you know, everything that has a beginning has an end, right? Right now, I would say planet Earth is about 30% in, in terms of its lifespan, right? So right now, it still mostly represents maiden qualities. Now, the types of maiden qualities um, that Gaia represents are very different from Venus. And that's why I think that the deeper we're going to go into this conversation, the more you would realize how imperfect the maiden mother crone uh, triangle is in the first place. Because the energies of Venus and the energy of Earth are extremely, extremely different. Now, very often what I would see with women on this planet is at best you would have one of the energies uh, integrated of the two planets or of the three, uh, but not all, right? So there's always more room for growth. There is always more room to actually take a deep dive into each of these energies, understand how they work and start integrating them within your own body. Because again, to heal the collective, you have to heal yourself. In other words, to heal the solar system, you have to go within and fix within yourself, within your own body, certain things that are maybe not as congruent um, as they could be. And that and that's how you fix the macro, um, is by fixing the micro. So Gaia, right, again, because, you know, Gaia is essentially the center of our world because we're uh, living on it is a very young spirit for her undertaking an arc that is going to take her, bring her into motherhood is actually a very, very hard and complex mission. It's almost like Gaia in, in terms of spirit consciousness, in terms of her femininity, right? Because she's actually, she used to be a masculine spirit that just recently made a, a polarity flip into femininity. Um, she represents a 13 and a half year old girl. Uh, Gaia is actually incredibly, she's naive because a lot of maiden archetypes are. She's very naive, but from that naivete, she's also very pure. So Gaia does have some purity, uh, but she also doesn't have great boundaries. And I definitely think you can see that with like the level of pollution. Um, I think there are, um, because we are children of Gaia, right, essentially born of her body, it is very easy for us to misconstrue the fact that we call her Mother Gaia, Mother Earth. Um, we assume that she is very motherly, but that is not yet the case. It's kind of like if a 13-year-old had a child and they didn't know what they were doing and they did not necessarily know how to take care of their children or, by the way, establish boundaries either or provide the level of guidance or support that a child needs to grow up into like a very healthy 
adult, very functioning adult. So Gaia does not have that experience. So essentially what's happening right now, she's making every mistake in the book. And that's why, you know, even her own body is out of whack. And this is a perfect proxy. You know how they tell you about the global warming and whatnot and um, and the ecological crisis and like the plastic overload. This is just a perfect proxy of how much a little control for that matter you have over your own bodies. So in other words, people, beings that incarnate on planet Earth cannot control their physicality, physical bodies either, right? Very often you'll get an ailment, you don't even know why or how, or like trying to trace back certain chronic disease and like why it came. You know, there's very little understanding of like the true genesis of disease, right? Very often medications are just going to dumb down the symptoms, but they actually don't uh, cure the root cause. And there's still a lot and a growing number of incurable disease because science uh, has such a rudimentary understanding of the why behind disease that it's not able to cure a lot of, you know, um, a lot of the byproducts, right? A lot of the end, um, you know, and end results um, of, of disbalance and disharmony in human bodies. So in other words, Gaia is a very young spirit. She does not know what she's doing yet. Because of that, she um, has a habit of bringing in satellites. So Gaia, of all, you know, um, comparatively speaking, has had a lot of moons and they keep changing up. Um, this moon is going to be here for some, some more time, not for that long. And part of the reason and part of the mission of this moon as a satellite um, that you guys think of the moon, but it's just a moon, actually, one of, uh, one of many that Gaia had over the course of time and definitely not the last one that Gaia is going to have. Um, so this moon is actually, um, it's going to be replaced um, in not such a distant future. But the moon being the satellite for a planet always holds and represents the lesson for that planet that, that is the most dear, near and dear to its heart. So in this particular case, as Gaia is trying to make an arc from a maiden or a little girl into becoming a mother, and not just any mother, but like high vibrational nurturing mother with a very open heart she needs a teacher in that and the moon as it currently stands is aiding in that and it is representing like a more mature female spirit that has already crossed the path and and has gotten to the destination of motherhood and has done so reasonably successfully right so it came and showed up in this moment in time to help Gaia walk into motherhood in the way that's going to serve Gaia. So Gaia right now is going through her own awakening process. Um, Not too long ago, she's actually gotten her heart back. Um, You know, in in other words, she's gotten uh, like a big heart upgrade. Um, And through that heart upgrade, she's gotten a lot of the ancient codes from higher vibrational beings downloaded right straight into her core, right? So Gaia is actually making a lot of rapid movements and rapid change through the crystal grid 
that she has within. So she's essentially, she is making a lot of changes in her skeleton at this moment in time. And her skeleton is really the minerals. Um, so she's uploading, shifting her energies quite significantly because Gaia is actually prepping for a large quantum leap um, in terms of dimension dimensions and just essentially her own personal evolution. As such, there's going to be a lot of turmoil on, on the planet. Um, there's going to be a lot more natural disasters. There's going to be all, like th weird things happening. You know, certain places that never used to get snow are going to start getting snow. Certain places with cold winters are going to start getting mild winters. And it's going to be like the planet is going to be out of whack. And um, it's going to start, you know, accentuating like the next 50 years. There's all kinds of weird quote unquote stuff um, coming like essentially right up on the agenda. And that is a byproduct of certain codes being uploaded into Gaia so that she can be on her way of becoming a mother. But it is a challenge for Gaia. And like the biggest challenge, like I said, is boundaries. So as above, so below. One thing you should know about that is motherhood is a challenge one way or another for 100% of humanity, right? Like if you're essentially, you know, a woman, then you're going to be faced with challenges of motherhood yourself, whether you are child-free or not. That is going to be one of the front and center things in your life. Um, you know, and even not wanting a child and not feeling like you're meant to have children could be part of the mother wound. You know, it could be you either misunderstanding the nurturing aspects of yourself or having trauma around it. And for those of you that are not women or don't identify as women, the concept and the problem of motherhood can still come front and center for you because you are all born of women, right? And so you're either going to have some type of interesting, strange, weird relationship with your mother or, you know, you are essentially a byproduct of your mother-father energies, right? So you carry within whatever imperfections your mother had anyhow. So that's why I'm saying 100% of the human popu population is being impacted by the wound of motherhood, right? Because why? Because that is the only way that you would have been attracted to Gaia, who is going through her major journey from a 13-year-old into a nurturing mother, and the problem that she's facing is boundaries. So um, that probably means that you have an issue with boundaries in your life to some degree. What could that look like? An issue with boundaries could be multiple fold, right? multiple fold. It could be the inability to say no, like the yes man or the yes woman, the, 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 the people pleaser, the trying to be a good boy, a good girl, you know trying to conform conform conformism is right here as in you got to you know you have to do what you're what expected of you you have to live according to a blueprint making your own way is dangerous right that's all concept of boundaries work-life balance of the lack of thereof again the the issue with boundaries um you saying yes to things that you don't want to say yes to such as i don't know your friends are like asking you out but you're really tired but you sometimes would still go right so all of these are issues with your boundaries or sometimes when you feel you've gave more than you really had the resources to give right 
And um, that is the problem with a lot of mothers, right? Because like I said, mothering is a really big wound on this planet. It's the all give and no take. It's the, um, now that I'm a mother, I will dissolve, you know, myself and what I want in favor of somebody else. That is not what motherhood is supposed to be. That is not what motherhood is supposed to be. Because that, again, is the martyr archetype. Martyring in the favor of your children is not how divine motherhood works. Divine motherhood is first and foremost an energy exchange. It's not the selfless giving and not expecting anything back. It's not the absence of boundaries whatsoever. So if you have an issue with boundaries in your life, know that that is you kind of living the karma of the planet that you incarnated in. And also, by healing your own relationship with boundaries, you help Gaia heal her relationship with boundaries. Because you help bring and solidify a new blueprint that she can live into, if that makes sense. In other words, start working on your boundaries. Don't say yes when you actually mean no. Don't put yourself last because... You believe that that is for the greater good. You know, don't strive to make everybody else happy at your own expense. That creates a disbalance and that creates karma. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's one of those. Self-sacrifice creates a lot of karma for you guys. You're going to pay for that in the next 25 something incarnations, right? So self-sacrifice and the absence of boundaries is actually an unhealthy habit. And let's start recognizing it for what it is. And that leads to all kinds of disease in your body and all kinds of issues around happiness, etc., etc. So the moon, the moon is interesting. Now, I will say, right, I will say that comparatively speaking, the and and that is due very much to the construction of the entity of the moon the moon is an artificial satellite it is not a naturally born satellite just wanted to let you know right it's not a planet um technically it's not born of the same substance that planets are right uh, it has a technical backbone it is for all intents and purposes, like a piece of hardware that has been placed next to Gaia now and, and has been programmed. Now, that is one aspect of the physicality of, of this world, right? Just wanted to put it out there. When something is an artificial construct, uh, even more artificial than the rest of the matrix, it can only house so much of consciousness in other words the construction of the moon the body of the moon the skeleton of the moon has its limitations and it can only encompass the consciousness that came through to help Gaia to some degree so in other words while aligning to the moon is almost like the name of the game for anybody that teaches spirituality for women right I would say take that with a grain of salt. Take that, take the moon with an extra pinch of caution. Just because the moon 
while being a great teacher on the one hand for Gaia, right, and representing the energies of motherhood, she also represents a lot of other things. Um, she actually represents control. Um, and from that perspective, the moon is not the purest form of motherhood you could be learning from. I'm just saying. So she is, vibrationally speaking, nowhere close to the vibrations of the Divine Mother. So one of the physical uh, purposes of the moon is control of the earthly population, as well as control of the ecosystem of planet Earth. That's the control of the tides, the control of people's moons. Um, the moon is at its highest in terms of control and how much it's able to control the human population at its peak, which is the full moon, right? That is where the control is most prevalent. That just also happens to be when the most of the crime is being committed on planet Earth. I don't know if you've watched the statistics, but there is a correlation. And the moon is at its least active in terms of control during the new moon stage. So if you're trying to push your own agenda or manifest something that is not a blueprint of the human collective, you may just want to do it during the new moon because you are less controlled and more yourself during the new moon stage. During the full moon stage, it's kind of like the zombie apocalypse. I hate, I hate to say this. It is like all the irrational behavior is going to come through. People sometimes are at each other's throats for no reason, seemingly. But again, the moon is a form of control, which is not taking away, by the way, because the real reality is always like a multi-layer cake, right? And you can never look at things from one angle, right? Just the fact that the moon does not represent the divinity of motherhood and represents the controlling mother that wants you to act a certain way. The mother, you know, like the moon is kind of like the nagging mother. It's kind of the one that's going to be like the insecure mother. She's just going to be the one that's going to always call you back and, and chuck on you every three seconds. You're like, did you eat... <laughs> <laughs> did, did you put the uh, like a warm sweater on today it's really cold and then she's gonna call you up and did you brush your teeth you know what time are you going to bed are you out don't be out and you're like mom i'm 30 freaking five years old stop reminding me what time i need to go to bed but like the moon is that kind of mother like make make no mistake now does that still represent the energies of motherhood yes it does does it represent the energies of motherhood from the perspective of divinity and nurturing and empathic giving, not quite. I would say the moon is, like I said, a controlling mother. Um, it also controls a lot of the instincts, right? Um, so she's, um, the moon is also one of the main forces that actually pushes you into, well, obviously it regulates your cycles, but it really pushes you into the reproductive game in the first place, right? So if it wasn't for the satellite of the moon, uh, people on planet Earth actually wouldn't want to reproduce. And that's actually quite interesting and quite funny. Uh, or ironic, shall I say. Because again, Gaia is a 13-year-old girl. She ain't looking to reproduce just yet, I'm just saying. Because she ain't a mother yet. And so the moon, you know, is really essentially not forcing, but again, it's, it's, it's a form of influence is influencing the human population to procreate. How come it's the case? It's the case because humans, and we're going deep and, you know, like if we're talking about the moon, if we're trying to get things out in the open, right? 
The moon as a satellite was put here by the same civilization that created Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens, if you listen to some of my previous episodes, is a slave race. The particular episode that I'm referring to is the, the martyr um, archetype, God, Goddess, Consciousness, if you, if you want to take a little bit of a deep dive. Um, when uh, a master race is creating a slave race, they're always creating a system of controls. And the moon is definitely one of the system of controls. Now, um, I don't want to get a bunch of rotten tomatoes thrown my way of how dare Maria go at the moon, the holiest, the holy grail, the holiest of the holiest objects in the sky, because we all just want to meditate on the new moon and the full moon and the, and the crescent moon and the waning moon and the waxing moon. And it is also helpful and helps us stay in touch with our feminine circles. I will not tell you that you are incorrect because at the planetary level of consciousness, you are correct, right? You are all, we are all, should I say, we are all by definition controlled by the moon cycles. That is very much the case. But make no mistake, the moon's energies don't represent the energies of divine femininity from the higher perspective. Because they're too low vibrational. And again, a controlling mother is a mother. But is that the purest form of that archetype? And I will tell you, it ain't so, right? That is not just the case. So that is, and again, from here, you know, it, that, that just like kind of like adds another chip or throws in just like another straw into the same fire of like motherhood issues on planet Earth. That is where you get the insecure mothers, the mothers that are very attached, the mothers that are very controlling, the mothers that have expectations of their children. And just the concept of having expectation from your children is a form of attachment. And a form of attachment does not exist in higher realms of perception. Attachment in a true form to outcomes is a very 3D thing because attachment actually represents a form of short-sightedness. Only short-sighted people are attached to particular outcomes. People who see the bigger picture understand that every outcome is a learning opportunity and not only that, but you attracted every outcome yourself because that represents your highest direction or the most, the best probability for your learning. That is the only reason why you attracted that outcome. And as such, Outcome is never negative, but always educational and always an opportunity for learning, always an opportunity for growth, right? That's why attachment is a very, very ridiculous concept, right? From the higher perspective. So that is the moon. Um, so on that note, because I'm like, I was looking at them as a dichotomy. What are the things that you would want to learn? What are the things that you could start inhabiting if you're trying to build a connection with Gaia and a connection with the moon before we get into Venus because I think Venus is like a whole other topic what you know it's, it's just like almost like a separate subject um so what are the things that you could benefit from in building like the better greater connection with mother Gaia on the positive side Gaia vibrates at the heart space right? Or most of Gaia, should I say, vibrates at the level of the heart. So comparatively speaking, for like a vast majority of humanity operates a level below 
on the Hada, a level below the heart space, right? So by connecting with Gaia through nature, by being in nature, you are opening up the path to your own happiness and your own contentment. Because true happiness, true contentment, and true feeling of belonging starts in the higher centers. Um, so in, in your heart and up, right? In terms of your energy centers, right? So that feeling of just calm balance and bliss that you can only get from the green space, the heart space, is something that you could and should always learn from Gaia, right? Gaia, despite being um, a low-dimensional planet at this point in time, has really figured out a balancing act of how do you infuse high-level ecosystem, like unity consciousness, into a very low-level world, right? So despite the fact that right now you've come here to be uh, an ego-driven, individualistic self, right, that is part of the path, you're also witnessing an ecosystem that is exceptionally interconnected. So one of the things you can learn from Gaia is the interconnectedness. And I encourage you to think about the chain, right? You can even think about the food chain of like just how interconnected and how dependent are the different species on each other. And, you know, how does the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom interact? How it's all part of one ecosystem. If something is out of whack in one part of the ecosystem, everything else suffers, right? And that, if that is not a greatest uh, lesson in unity, I don't know what is, right? So uh, your connection with Gaia is also your connection, building a strong connection with the planet, is your connection with the lightheartedness, right? So that joyous maiden, like young girl, pure archetype. So that is something you could definitely learn from Gaia, right? If you connect with her energies. So if you tend to be, I don't know, like a Debbie Downer, if you tend to be a little bit over, over like overly practical maybe, right? Or if you get very melancholical, or it's very hard for you to get happy or joyful and enjoy the little things in life, Gaia is your best teacher. She is, like I said, a 13-year-old that is always in a state of awe. You know, she's one of those, like, it's, it's almost like she's annoyingly positive, you know? She's just, like, loves everything, and she's happy about everything, and everything is a little, you know, a piece of wonder for her. And so I think that that is actually a very, very beautiful uh, part of Gaia that we all need to uh, to kind of like um, absorb. Now, this is, you could think of it as like an, an, a divine child archetype in some ways. So Gaia has a divine divine child archetype down pat. Um, like, again, that purity, the innocence, the being happy in the moment, all of that is a divine child archetype. And, you know, by fostering a connection with Gaia, it can definitely help um, it, you, you would enable those qualities in yourself. The moon um, is is very different, right? Like what could you learn from the moon um, and, and why should you care? So the moon is um, the mother consciousness in whatever format. Now, we're not necessarily being judgy right now. We're not yeah, comparing the moon to other types of mothers because this is the one that we have in the solar system, right? So um, the mother archetype 
uh, is obviously somebody that has moved on from everything in this world revolves around me into everything is about me and my family, right? So the mother archetype is also the wife archetype, right? So the wife and the mother. So somebody who is a mother archetype is somebody who is nurturing, who could, you know, um, who would take the needs of others as their own needs, who gets joy from providing for others, nurturing and taking care of other beings, right? Um, potentially being there for them. And um, the moon actually has certain empath qualities as well. Because in order to be able to control other people, you actually need to be very perceptive right so perception and receptivity the empath qualities are something you can learn from the moon um for women that don't have the energies of the moon integrated in their bodies it's very hard to be mothers and it's extremely hard to be wives now each of you right each of you women especially are going to have all of these archetypes all of the three the moon the uh, the earth and Venus integrated to some degree. So if, and essentially the three of them are going to make you a particular kind of woman, whether you'd like it or not. So if you're overabundant on motherly energies, like if you're too much in the direction of the moon, you're going to become melancholical, like overly emotional. So not necessarily in a good way. Uh, or, or, you know, like you can be just essentially your emotions would would just run you but those would be like the almost like the sappy sad kind right not necessarily the most like the most cheerful ones um so you would be pro prone to like negative mood swings potentially um potentially um you know the the overabundant moon can give you a weird sense of self-perception either too much of something and not enough of something. So people where, you know, where the moon is out of whack or out of balance um, have like a hard time understanding where they fit in the spectrum um, because the moon also represents illusion. So if the moon energies are really, really strong with you, within you, it's really hard for you to see the world for what it truly is. It like legitimately feels like something is behind like some type of veil, and it's very hard to see things for who they for what they really are. Now, the healthy moon is going to give you great nurturing qualities, good empathic qualities. It's going to make you a good listener, and it's going to make you a really really good wife. So somebody who is able to sustain relationships, who does not neglect their partner, but is not overzealous of their partner as well, that provides the right level of nurturing, loving care without going overboard, right? That would represent that perfect balance. And the people with a very low moon, or not low moon, but the underdeveloped moon, that would also be in, in the astrological charts, are the people that are going to struggle with the concept of family. They're going to struggle with the concept of commitment. They're going to have a lot of trauma and wouldn't want to have children. Or even if they do, you know, the kind of... You know, like somebody with a weak moon would be very likely to give up a child for adoption, for instance, or maybe have a baby and, 
not fully neglect the baby, but maybe give the baby to their parents and kind of disappear for like large amounts of time. Um, so that's like, th those would be the women with a weak moon. Um, it's not really, <laughs> we don't really have in astrology, we don't really measure how strong or weak or, you know, in between your Gaia connection is. But technically speaking, it would not be incorrect to measure as well. And I can give you a couple of analogies. So somebody who has a weak Gaia connection has a hard time um, appreciating nature. Um, they don't see a point in nature. For them, like indoors, outdoors, you know, big city, forest, there's not like they don't, they're not sensitive to that, right? So somebody with a weak Gaia connection finds it hard to be happy in the moment. They find it hard to be grateful for the little things in life. Um, they're, uh, you know, they, there can be many reasons why. I don't know, maybe that's an overachiever. Maybe they think like a million dollars is going to make them happy or a billion dollars, whatever the new number is, right? Um, but they really have a hard time staying happy in the moment. Somebody with an overabundant Gaia connection, somebody who uh, has too many Gaia energies, is actually going to be somebody that's a little bit too naive. Somebody that almost like never can grow up. And they're like, well, I don't know, I don't need money. But then you're like, well, actually, no, you do, you have the rent to pay. And so like, they, they tend to be infantile almost, right? Um, and so, you know, the disbalance of Gaia energies when you have almost like too many would turn you into a perpetual child that never wants to grow up. So it's actually pretty, it's, it's not a great archetype to have when you have an overabundance of Gaia connection. And uh, last but not least, I wanted to really look at the, at Venus, um, Venus is a representation of the best female energies, or should I say the best, uh, the highest vibration frequency of female energies available to you as a being incarnated on planet Earth would be Venus. Venus itself is more high vibrational as a planet, and the consciousness that inhabits Venus or donated, you know, its patronage, shall I say, to Venus is a very high vibrational consciousness. Now, Venus is is very special. Venus is the first domino. It is the first real, clean, clear archetype of femininity that is not tarnished within the solar system. And it is one of the cleanest representations of feminine energies in the entirety of the Milky Way galaxy. The archetype that it represents is partially maiden, partially lover, partially goddess, if that makes sense, right? So it's a, it's a very interesting archetype. Now, you would probably still, in the good old maiden mother crown, you would probably still categorize that in the maiden aspect. But with Venus in particular, because it's a lot more high vibrational than Gaia, and the being that represents Venus is a lot higher evolved, it would never fit or it would have a hard time fitting into the dogmas, the definitions and the blueprints of this planet. So Venus is actually really, really hard to comprehend unless you try to comprehend Venus with your higher heart energies. So your higher heart energies are, again, like it's thymus located um, two inches above your heart. And 
these are the energies of pink, high vibrational cosmic love. So that is the vibration of Venus. Venus is a sacred planet within the solar system. It is truly the energy of the goddess. I mentioned the goddess is one of the archetypes. Now, there are many faces of a goddess, right? As we all know, well, more, way more than three. And yes, the, the goddess that Venus is, she's the maiden kind of goddess. But she also follows and starts expanding on the archetype of the maiden, which is the lover. So the first in-between aspect between the maiden and the mother is actually the lover. Wouldn't you agree that 13-year-old girls don't just become mothers? There has to be an in-between process when you're romantically engaged and dating, right? Before the marriage proposal actually happens and you become a wife and a mother, right? So that whole period is currently labeled it and pushed over to the maiden category. But the maiden is your divine child, right? And, you you know, there's a big difference between a 10-year-old and a 20-year-old, right? I think we would all agree. Those are very, very different humans with very different aspirations and interests, shall we say, right? So Venus is your typical, like, 25-year-old goddess, if that makes sense, right? So Venus understands her divinity. Uh, and like I said, she represents a very pure spectrum of fe female energies, now, she is not very single-dimensional. In fact, she's very multi-dimensional. And so it's very hard to explain Venus as a consciousness because a part of the consciousness lives in the sacral chakra, right? So part of your Venus connection is going to manifest itself in your sacral chakra. And that is your sexuality. That is your sexual and sensual pleasure. It, it goes right there. Um, that is, you know, your art. The artist, your, your artistic creativity, you know, that is all your sacral. So Venusian women with a very, very strong Venus energy, they are, you know, the qualities that they exhibit is they tend to be beautiful uh, or just very well maintained. If that is the thing, if you know what I mean, like they just they take care of themselves. Right. Um, somebody with very strong Venusian energies is going to be um, very well put together. Uh, these are the people that are either naturally very beautiful or, you know, they really have, I don't know, a five-step skincare routine, five to ten. You know, they have their manicure appointments. They have their esthetician appointments. They really are into fashion or interior design. So these are the people that have this artistic sense and they're always beautiful so like literally they're dateable if that makes sense right and you will you probably have examples of women like that in your life that are always just like you look at them and you're like how are you this pretty like how much time are you putting into like taking care of yourself and the thing is if she has venusian energies she can roll out of bed in the morning and she's still going to be a goddess and that is the beauty of venus right now everything is good in moderation Right. And that is kind of like everything is good and balanced. Right. And of course, balance, achieving balance is a fallacy. But the women, for instance, that have um, an overabundance of Venus and an underabundance of moon are the women that are kind of staying in the perpetual lover archetype.
So they have a hard time migrating to becoming wives and becoming mothers. It doesn't come naturally to them. So, you know, getting married or like staying married or like doing the regular things that married people do. I don't know, like making food for your husband. That's not what they love. You know, they like for many years of their lives, maybe even into their like 50s or 60s or what have you, like till the, you know, till later in life, they're going to maintain, you know, a very nice figure. They're going to really take care of themselves and they're always going to be dateable, right? So they're always going to be, you know, always look younger than the rest. And, you know, they're, they don't get bogged down by the routine, right? Or by like housework or household chores. They still look amazing. So that's the beauty of Venus. And again, the challenge of Venus, of course, if the moon is not developed enough, if the connection with the moon is not developed enough, they really struggle with motherhood or nurturing. Um, Because um, Venus is also all about emotions, right? Um, I would say the, the motto of Venus is I want, so Venusian women know what they want and they have a lot of wants and a lot of desires. Now, very often the desires revolve around girly things. You know, I want, I don't know, this Chanel bag or like this beautiful red dress or I, I want to go to parties or I want like a lavish lifestyle or I want, I don't know, vacations and I don't want to work. They, by the way, they don't want to work. I'm just saying Venus, girl, Venus is not your hardest working energy at all. You know why? Because Venus is a goddess. And goddesses are not really all about hard work. I don't know if you noticed. But goddesses are all about, at the snap of your finger, you get what you want. And and so um, women with an overabundance of Venus, if like very much a Venusian archetype, and by the way, there are, if we like took a very rudimentary approach, every woman is either Venusian, the moon, Gaia or a combination of, you know, some combination, some version of the three, right? So for those women for whom Venus is really overabundant, they, you know, they have expectations. In other words, they kind of feel like the world owes them, right? So they may be dating somebody or like they may be married to somebody, but like very often they don't want to have a job and they just want the husband to provide for them. And by the way, what Venus is going to do is she's going to come up with all kinds of demands from that husband of like, I want X, Y, and Z. And why don't you make enough money? Like that is your pure Venus. Venus does not like any hard work, but she likes receiving and being pampered. So being pampered is just the name of the game for Venus. Now, that is, uh, that is all like the energies of the sacral. Venus at a higher level also has a very, very, very developed heart space, heart center. So that is your emotional center. And by emotional, I mean both the the giving and the receiving. Like their heart center is very open. And for your pure Venusian, like, because, you know, you would always have the, um, essentially there are different layers to which you can uh, resemble the, the planet. You could resemble certain shadow aspects of the planet, or you can resemble certain light aspects of the planet, or kind of like the more average uh, rendition of how that planet projects its energy forth, right? So the true heart space energies of Venus are pink, and they're very cosmic, and they're actually the opposite of egotistical. They are very nurturing, and they are about the energy intake, and they are both empathic as well as 
you know, there's a lot of clarity around feelings and emotions and a really, really deep ability with Venusian women and men, by the way, to process emotions and display emotions. In other words, they're, you know, they know what they want and they know how to get what they want by, you know, showing certain aspects of themselves, right? Now, they may not have the self-sacrificial bone the way your your moon women would, whereas they have to drop everything that they're doing. But make no mistake, they understand how the world works because they do understand emotion, right? So that is the, you know, the hard-led Venus. And the hard-led Venus is actually... These are the women that are very, like, they're quite, they could be quite romantic at heart in the way that moon women are not. You know, the moon is not about being romanced. The moon is not about taking care of herself. By the way, a lot of women with an overabundance of moon energies are the opposite of sexy. I mean, truly. They would wear baggy clothing. They're the most likely ones to have unwashed hair, if you know what I mean, and no you know uh no 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 nice hairstyle that could be kind of the downside of the overabundance of moon energies now with venus they would never allow themselves to leave the house even to go and you know get something at the store if they don't look their best and that is just uh, what the venus is so um at, yeah and um you know they're um, could be compassionate as well. Uh, the Venusians uh, at their higher at their higher aspects are really really good about knowing what they feel, knowing how to make themselves feel better, and uh, they do have this uncanny ability, like reading the emotions and motivations of others, and, and uh, kind of like maneuvering around that. And the last um, chakra where the Venusian energies live is your um, third eye. So that is yet another aspect of Venus, and that is your female intuition. So your um, the women that display highest level of connection with the energy of Venus are almost prophetic and very psychic. So that is essentially your connection to the Akashic Records. That is your connection to the guides. That is your connection to the universal wisdom. And it happens for the people that are connected to the goddess aspect of Venus. It happens very naturally. So a lot of special abilities here as well, right? And by the way, here there's, I don't see any drawbacks around having an overdeveloped Venus in higher aspects. In other words, you can never be too psychic uh, or, you know, too intuitive like that. I don't, I don't see that as an issue at all. Um, so understanding you know, a little bit of these archetypes, understanding that they are impacting your day-to-day, whether you'd like it or not, I think is paramount as you're trying to build yourself into a more harmonious being. Now, of course, the absolute jackpot is 33% Venusian energies, 33% and change of moon and 33% and change of Gaia, you know. If you achieve that level of distribution of your energy, you just want a jackpot because that would represent the perfect balance of the female energies. You can do a quick diagnostic 
uh, I, why don't I teach you how to do a quick diagnostic? If you close your eyes, right? I want you to imagine two pots of paint in front of yourself. The first part of paint represents the moon energy. And it looks like opalescent white energy. So that pot of paint is transparent and the paint itself is opalescent white or pearlescent white. Pearlescent white works as well if you guys don't know what opalescent white is. So imagine that um, first uh, pot of paint contains this kind of energies. The second pot of paint contains green energies and that is going to be your Gaia connection. And the third part of paint has pink energies and that's going to be your Venus connection. So if you're doing the diagnostic, you may actually look up at how full versus empty these pots are for each of you. Um, if you are, you know, if you have like a good inner vision, you can even um, ask the universe to show you the exact percentages of how your feminine energies are distributed between these three planets three cosmic um, entities, right? So if it's close to 33%, then it's all balanced. But more often than not, you would see one planet, one aspect that is dominating, and one aspect that's really lacking. And that is a really, really dead giveaway for you on what you need to work on. Now, unless something is 60%, unless one of your planets is 60% or higher, I wouldn't think that there is an overabundance of those energies. So if you have one planet that's, I don't know, 50, 40%, it's not a big deal. What you need to work on is strengthening your lower ones instead of trying to lower the more dominating one, right? However, if you one of your planets, I don't know, 70% and the, the other two are 15, you're going to have to work in parallel. You're going to have to lower some of the energies increase some other energies. Now, we're not going to have too much time to talk about, you know, how to nurture the different energies, but I'll just give you very quick pointers. If you have an under abundance of the energies of Gaia, you want to spend time in nature as much as possible. So time spent in nature, barefoot, very important on the grass, and um, water energies are really, really helpful as well with Gaia, right? So water is one of the, the energies that is very, that could really bring it home to you as far as your Gaia connection. Um, anchoring your divine child archetype is also really, really important when you're working with Gaia. In other words... And, you know, I could talk to you about anchoring the divine child archetype till the cows come home. But a part of integrating the divine child archetype is allowing yourself certain sporadic acts of joy and certain things that like, it's, it's almost like you need to schedule things into your calendar to do things that are unreasonable and childish or childlike, right? I don't know, have a pillow fight or go play laser tag do something that like the child in you wanted to do watch a cartoon go get yourself um i don't know 
a pint of ice cream or whatever food you liked as a kid. But the nurturing the child within, if you have a suboptimal Gaia connection, is actually extremely, extremely important. And chances are you have been neglecting that inner child of yours. So nurturing her. And another thing that kills the inner the inner child, like nothing else, is criticism. So if your inner critic is at your all-time high, part of the reason could be your Gaia connection is not strong enough. Okay, um, let's quickly go into how to nurture your moon relationship, your moon connection. Um, in some... so aligning to the moon cycles for sure if you have an underactive moon aligning to the moon cycles is one of the best things that you could do right especially the new moon and the full moon right but knowing the phases of the moon also noticing and keeping a moon journal a moon journal is essentially you recording what phase of the moon it is and how you're feeling in that particular day and time and then over time, noticing any patterns that are related to the different phases of the moon and how your body is experiencing them, right? So in other words, know yourself in the relationship to the moon, right? That is one way, you know? Um, spending time observing the moon is also very important. So being out there in the open, visually connecting with the moon, extremely important, right? Um, the moon also likes certain type of clothing. So moon energies, you know, they like longer flowy skirts, floor length. The moon also likes for you to wear pastel colors and ideally shades of gray or white. Um, the moon um, requires introspection. So the moon is not your, you know, networker, go out there every night the moon requires inner time and alone time so it's actually it would it's like it's it's the journey within right so um you know alone time or meditations or even going on a spiritual retreat can really be healing for your moon energies there are certain crystals right like opal i've already mentioned or moonstone um, and certain essential oils to help foster your connection with the moon. Lotus is a very, very beautiful um, essential oil that um, would bring you closer to, to your moon connection. Um, lilies. Uh, and um, a lot of other f white florals. A lot of uh, the energy of the white florals, actually the energy of the moon. So your tuberose, your jasmine, a lot of that is moon connection. Um Classical music also helps with the moon connection quite a lot. Women's circles helps. So women helping women helps uh, really uh, nurture the female connection, right? So if you don't have a lot of girlfriends, I, I highly, highly encourage you, if, if your moon is weak, to open your heart to other women, right? And having deep heart-to-heart -heart connections with them not the gossipy type but the one where you share a little bit of your soul and a little bit of your heart and the moon actually likes more like the tribal way of connecting which is more than you know actually three women plus is is what the moon really loves and what the moon, women uh, like the moon really craves it's like female communities right it's what, what you would want to nurture that relationship 
Um, and the last is Venus. If your Venus is suboptimal, you want to, A, obviously, start taking care of yourself, right? And it, 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 you're going to have to force yourself initially. Make that appointment for a manicure, pedicure. Make that appointment to a hairdresser. Learn to do your makeup. Learn to do your hair. Throw away all the baggy clothing, all the clothing that doesn't make you feel like a woman, all the clothing that makes you feel unhappy or suboptimal. And by the way, if you have a, like a very weak Venus connection, I guarantee you 80% of your wardrobe is not making you happy. If you're trying to cover yourself up or cover up the fact that you don't like parts of yourself or maybe the entirety of who you are, you you know that those are the energies to work through because Venus first and foremost represents the energies of love, right? You know, that's why Venus is also Aphrodite. Aphrodite is the love goddess, right? And it starts with a love for self. So cultivating the love for self is actually important. And that goes so much above and beyond self-criticism. So much above and beyond. Like that is not even remotely, you know, fixing yourself in her critic is not it. You're going to have to get to a point where you think you're fabulous and lovely and a wonder, you know. So like Venus really represents self-love in its most, in its healthy state um, and in its abundant state. Venus is also all about beauty. The energies of beauty are harmonizing energies. So uh, Venus likes decorating. Uh, whether that is decorating for a holiday, whether that is completely redoing and overhauling your living room or your kitchen or whatever doesn't feel uh, aligned with, with your new path. So any type of large overhaul or decoration project, Venus is really going to want and is really going to like. Even, you know, and by the way, volunteer for decoration projects. Um, if you know that you need to work through and amplify your Venus energies, volunteer at your job to decorate it for holidays or, you know, for every holiday, you know, decorate it for Halloween, decorate it for Valentine's Day, just decorate it, right? Because by decorating something, you're tapping into Venusian energies. Yes, they may be the sacral energies of the artist, but if, if that center is under nurtured for you, if this planetary connection is under nurture, this is actually a really, really good place to start. Venus energy likes orchids. So get your do yourself a favor and get yourself an orchid for every room in your house. The orchids are actually really, really beautiful flowers. Um, I actually made an episode in the past about the energy of the flowers. And um, the energy of the orchid is a harmonizer. So when you place an orchid inside of the particular room in your house, it literally reshuffles and restructures the vibration of that whole room, harmonizing it according to the golden section ratio. And essentially, an orchid will make will transform your whole room. It can make your whole room look beautiful. And Venus, not only does she like decorating, but Venus has a higher bar and a beautiful taste. So Venus likes luxury. And Venus likes places that are harmonious and beautiful, right? So decorating with objects um, that are art objects or very refined objects is really going to feed your inner Venus. Venus also likes aromas. Venus also loves fragrances of all kinds and perfume. And Venus loves take, taking lavish baths, right? 
So baths with flower petals and essential oils and beautiful fragrant bath salts, that is Venus all the way. Spa day, Venus is all in it all day, every day. And even if you think about it, you know, the, the goddess archetype of Venus, right? Like she was born of the sea foam in this beautiful shell with pearls, essentially, and surrounded by dolphins. But she really is very much into the energies of the ocean, the energies of the sea. So any type of spa type of treatment that has anything to do with water or a seaside or an ocean um, side vacation, you know, going to the Caribbean, that's a very Venusian thing to do. Connecting to the energies of dolphins and connecting to the energies of mermaids is actually also quite Venusian. Um, if, if we're talking elementals. Um, so I think that could be very, very helpful. Rose is one of the symbols of Venus. Um, in fact, if you take a geocentric approach, so if you were to place planet Earth in, in the center, um, and if you were to watch the movement of planet Venus around Earth, you would see that over the course of eight years, which is a cycle of Venus, there is a great eight symbology, very ancient, um, you would see that Venus is actually painting the picture, drawing the picture of a five-petal rose. And so rose is another symbol of Venus. Uh, so you, you have a lot of societies built on the symbol of the rose, secret societies, um, that found a lot of depth in the symbolism of a rose but rose is another harmonizer so if you're short on venusian energies surround yourself with roses whether that is life flowers whether that is just paintings or pictures of the rose you'll thank me later um, so these are just some very quick kind of like gestural um, ideas and thoughts and you know general advice on what you know you should do if you're trying to amplify certain energies we shall see i may do separate episodes about venus and you know gaia in the future uh, because there's so much more on this topic this is a pretty broad topic right um but i'm i'm, I'm not worried i'm going to be talking a lot about that to you in in the future episodes so i'm sure that uh, we're probably going to take at one point a full episode to just talk about the magic of venus because there's some so much symbolism in um in, in that one beautiful planet and again because venus represents the highest possible vibrations of divine femininity available to us earthians i think this is a very interesting archetype to just look and, and take a deep dive into um but yeah i feel like um this is probably you know like a nice roundup for today uh thank you for sticking around unfortunately this you know it, it's been a while so we don't have the time for the Q&A but um, you know thanks so much for sticking around I will see you in the next one and I'll make sure we have time for Q&A next time thank you love you sending you a virtual hug have a great day thank you so much for listening to conversations with my higher self podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode please visit thisismaria.com for more insights and offerings from Maria and Sergey, it is T-H-I-S-I-S-M-A-R-I-Y-A dot com. We hope to see you in future episodes.